Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us today. And I, this is a treat. I'm actually sitting in the studio of my good friend, Thomas Flint. Uh, we are technically in Rochester, New York. We're in Rochester, New York. Yep, right in downtown Rochester, Rock City. We actually had you back uh, on the Boca Podcast when it was relatively new, episode yeah. 14. So hey, it was about all a- this fancy gear back then. <laughs> <laughs> Killing it now. Yeah. <laughs> we have just a little bit bigger audio recorder, <laughs> maybe fan- slightly fancier mic. No, um, this is great. For those of you who are, well, of course, all of you are listening and we don't have a visual here, but we're sitting at this beautiful table, big table here, mics um, set up, sitting across from each other on a very wide open studio space. And um, this is a space that that you have the opportunity to share with a few few different people. But it's it's a I mean, it, you got a lot of natural light coming in. You've got oh, yeah. a lot of space to to use for studio work, mm-hmm. um, and it's also got a very kind of rustic feel with the, the the exposed brick and the wood floors and and the train tracks and the train tracks, the train going by <laughs> in the background. You guys may or may not hear some of that in the in, um, in the next few minutes. But uh, what a great space to be in. But I'm I'm curious. In episode fourteen, and if you guys haven't listened to, listened to that episode, we talked about the notion or the ideas of artistry versus business, and how those things, again, aren't mutually exclusive, but that they can coexist, and what mm-hmm. that might look like. And I love your perspective on that. But um, I, we didn't really get into kind of your backstory and a little bit more detail about you, your day to day. So I'm curious what your day to day does look like. Um, what do you, whether that's personal or business, and then kind of what you do to create some free time for yourself? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. And uh, I've learned to try to eliminate that idea of the personal and the business. And, and in this Interesting. in this field, I think we have a really unique opportunity to blend the two together. Okay. Um, if you look at something, like like my Instagram feed would be an indication of that, where there isn't a lot of conscious effort put into what's best for my business. Uh, I want to convey more of a sense of who I am and, and what my day-to-day looks like. Hmm. Um, and that might not be the best approach for you know from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not mathematical in that sense. I don't, I don't know what, what something can equate to or how others will perceive, but I want to give a general idea of where I am in life and how my days play out and different interests that I may uh, be into or things that I may be able to, to get access to. Again. Yeah. Um, so my, I, I don't have much of differentiation between my working life and my professional life. I have certain uh, roles within my personal life that give me fuel for my professional life. So one kind of hand feeds the other in this sense that I have a two and a half year old son and he is, he's the center of my everything. He's, he's my why by him coming into my personal life has inspired my professional life in yeah. a profound way. Yeah. Uh, and he continues to, in the sense that I want him to be proud of me and I want him to know what daddy's out doing and that daddy's coming back home and maybe to provide a sense of good work ethic and good perspective and how to build relationships and how not challenging things can be, you know, that we, I think we tend to look at things as bigger than they are at, at times. And getting back to your question, there isn't much by way of the differentiation between personal life and professional life. There is a way to find that both of them can benefit from being present hmm. in either scenario. 
you know, I, my, my personal life has gotten much better at the end of the month. I might go, I'm going, we're going down to see some family who I consider family, but they're dear friends who I met through this industry to celebrate the birth of their child. But that will be on the heels of going to reap other benefits that would come along from seeing those people. So it's like we can travel more and see more and enjoy more together and expand our horizons by virtue of me working and being present in my profession. So generally, there really is no differentiation between the two. I like it. I like that perspective. And I don't think any anybody that we've had on the podcast to date has spoken to it quite like that. So that's really interesting to consider how those just can flow from one to another. And the, and the key, again, is, as you mentioned earlier, is, is being present. Yeah, I think there's there's some uh, benefit to compartmentalizing your time, to kind of prioritizing and then figuring out a way to navigate that. So whatever whatever your priority is, I can I can see that from the statement that I made, some might say, well, wouldn't you want to have that separation? Wouldn't you want to know that, you know, when you're maybe during these hours or when you're in this particular environment, you're focused solely on your business and then that way you can differentiate, leave it where it is and go to deal with the matters sure. that make up your personal life. And vice versa. So, if those lines are blurred, do you have, do you feel like you're always working, or do you feel like you're not working enough? You know, where do you strike a balance when you feel that everything that you're doing professionally has some impact on your personal life, vice versa? Mm. I think there is a place to do that. And I think that there's a lot of benefit to compartmentalizing your time by saying, for me, time with my son right now. I mean, we talked about last year, right? So it's been a year since we sat down to this last podcast, and it's been a year since I've seen you. And that goes in the blink of an eye. And really I'm does. very aware of that, especially now that I have a, a little person to put that time up against to yeah. watch his development, see how quickly that time goes. Absolutely. And I don't want to miss that. And one of the benefits of what I'm doing right now is that I can stretch my schedule, bend my schedule, work around it with technology as my aid as opposed to being my foe that's always there. I can use it when I need it. Yes. But make sure that I prioritize. Every morning, I'm with my son as long as I'm in town and I'm not traveling for, for work. I'm going to be with him. And I'm going to make it so that at least past breakfast time and a little bit of play time thereafter, I'm at home. And that's time for him. That's not time to be looking at the phone. And that's not time to be worrying about what yesterday's, what I didn't accomplish yesterday and what needs to be done by the end of the day today. Yeah. I have long days sometimes. And sometimes that means that I'm going to you know, put him down for a nap and then I might be gone for the rest of the day and not get home until bedtime for him or sometimes thereafter. Sure. But I know that I made that time every yeah. day because it's passing so incredibly quickly. Um, I, I don't want to miss a thing, and, but he's my priority in all of it. And um, so I, I, I think that in the sense that it, it might sound, again, like you're layering too much and you'd have no differentiation, you'd start to lose yourself inside of your professional life or your personal life when it all feels to be the same. If you just take one step to the left, you look at it as though, well, what is the priority within those two things? And it's definitely, I have a commitment to my clientele and I have a commitment to the people that are counting on me for what I do professionally, but I also have one for him. And we can carve that time, even if it does mean little longer hours or working at odd hours. Um, I think that the notion of that nine to five is sort of starting to play out anyway, uh, especially amongst us freelancers, that we never really get to leave the idea that we are business owners. But we can certainly carve time within our schedules to tend to the things that are most important to us. We're going to get to what is a really interesting topic to me here in just a second, but I'm a little bit curious because we didn't talk about this in the first episode, or episode 14 rather, when you were on first, um, just a little bit about how you got into photography. Um, and then, of course, you're a wedding photographer, and so I'm curious how you made a decision about that particular genre. But yeah. you, you showed me this frame print yeah. uh, just a few minutes ago before we got started. <laughs> so I'd love for you to kind of describe for our listeners what this, this framed print is. Yeah, so uh, a couple of years back, 
and this is so now uh, as a freelancer, I've been on my own for 12 years within the, in the photography industry. And um, it's like I said, there's no differentiation between personal and professional life. So I see myself as a photographer. And I think the people that are close to me think of that, think of myself as being that as well. Um, so uh, Sunday nights, we carve the time out to go to mom's. We, we try to get that time to, to go out and have our dinners together and bring the kids together as hectic and chaotic as it can be. Yeah. It's, it's a priority of ours. It's a why. It's a massive why. So I go over to my mom's one evening and she hands me a Polaroid uh, picture of a, uh, I would say, less than perfect composition. Um, <laughs> a picture that you would kind of brush aside, but written on the bottom, you know, the old Polaroids have that little white space on the bottom yeah, down yeah. there. And in a very um, amateur, uh, juvenile kind of handwriting, uh, is written Tom's first picture. The date is one two eighty two, uh, so that put me at about five years old. And my mother hands it to me, and I look at it, and I'm trying to think like, what, 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 what why is she showing me this? And <laughs> it, it clicks like that's the first picture that I, I guess, had ever taken or wow, had, had at least ever been kept with my name on it. We're not right. exactly sure whose handwriting it was because it wasn't my mom's handwriting. We think it might be my brother's, but it's a picture of my living room uh, growing up. Again, not so perfectly composed, but my brother and sister are in it, meaning that if I'm not in it, then yes, that would kind of point to the fact that I took it. Right. And she says, I don't have your brother's first picture, and I don't have your sister's first picture, but for whatever reason, 30 years later, she trips upon this Polaroid of my first picture, and I thought, man, this is this has got to be some sort of sign. Like, how, how did we keep this? How did we have that kind of foresight? But right. this is the way the universe works, so... When I got it uh, back to my place, I decided I would take it to a framer and have it framed. And I hang it in my studio as a reminder of, I don't know, of the fact that I guess I've, I've kind of always aspired to, to this kind of life. This really was you from the beginning. Yeah. Um, I didn't pursue studies in that field because I think it was more of a practical upbringing. I was never discouraged, but I was more encouraged to, by the generation before me, which was more go to school, get your degree, get your good job, get your safety net, and then... You can buy all the cameras you want to, and you can go on the trips, and you can do that sort of thing. Right. Which, you know, is every generation feeds the one before them. So if my father learned from his generation, they came through tough times, and that was what they preached to to him. And so him coming forward as a dad be the same thing. I want what's best for you. And what's best for you probably wouldn't have been a career in the arts, at least from his <laughs> perspective. Yeah. I mean, so it was, it was that. But there was never a, a, I was never discouraged from um, experimenting. Sure. With whatever interests me. But those photographs always served as, and they're they're just forever memories, you know. And that idea of that uh, of, of of manufacturing memories became an obsession of mine. Um, and it, and I so I kind of became sort of an amateur enthusiast photographer myself. And uh, through college, had film cameras, uh, was in the film club and that kind of stuff. And uh, again, treated it as a hobby, but had a working knowledge of light, aperture, shutter speed, the general parameters that we're still working with today, even though. In a lot of cases, it does it for us. Sure, um, it was. I was fortunate enough to be brought up in a time when you had to think about those things. You had to slow things down enough to be participatory in them, and creating something in the end that would be a long-lasting document of that time. Um, so, with that, I mean, so without getting too long-winded, uh, making the switch to photography um, just before and around the advent of digital, uh, weddings was a very it seemed like a, a very appropriate place for me to work within. Hmm. Um, not so much because I realized how incredibly demanding it was technically and how much I would learn technically or how much I would learn personally or how much I would see or get access to family, but mostly to, to, to document. Can't imagine that 
of anything that I've experienced so far, and I've had good fortune to travel and um, lots of access to the world and yeah. the world around us, but I've done so in a way to sort of replace my own memory with, with these physical manifestations, these visual manifestations of where I've been, and weddings were, were ripe for that. So once I got into it, I realized that all that I thought I knew about photography, as far as the technicals went, uh, was of benefit, but was, was nearly not enough to, to navigate a wedding day, considering the challenges that come with it. And the more I photographed weddings, the more I needed to learn about my, how I get this done, my hows. Um, but I had my why before I ever really had the skills and the chops and the how to pull it off. And I haven't really concerned myself much with the what I do anymore. What I do mm. is, is part of why I do it. But the ability to hand someone a part of their own history is, is a very powerful thing. And it's still the focus of my work now, although I do love the artistic expression in it. And I think I take good chances. Um, and I've, I've been, I've had some good results as far as the, the artistic nature of my work goes. Um, I, I think it really is most powerful when it comes to the historical element, the, the documentation. Well, and I think the fact that you have, you've established your why and it's not, again, the photography is not the end. It's just a means yeah, to the why. It enables you to create some separation between those ideas that we mentioned a few minutes ago, the business and the art, yeah. uh, in a bit of an objective manner. And I think that's really helpful for somebody who wants to create a sustainable business that you do understand the differences. Yeah. And then you creatively, of course, make the two work together. Yeah. But having, again, the fact that the, that the photography is not the end. I think so many photographers, if you were to ask them, you know, why, why are you a photographer? And they would say, I, I love photography, or mm -hmm. I love the art of photography, Absolutely. or I'm an artist, or something to that effect, which is wonderful. Yeah. But then I think I would ask them, especially in, in context of our conversation, but, but why? Why are you a photographer? Mm -hmm. Why are you an artist? Mm -hmm. What does that enable you to ultimately bring to the world? And, and your, your, your why is very unselfish in, in the sense that you are wanting to give something to someone or to a group of people. Yeah, but carries a certain amount of selfishness in it too because sure. I gain access to that experience as well. Yeah. You know, that, that gets filtered through me. So in a way, I'm kind of participating in and, and creating history for myself. You know, so looking back on these last 12 years as a, as a working photographer, the experiences that I've, um, that I've been exposed to uh, have, have been incredibly enriching. So there is a selfishness to that, and that's okay. Um, but the, the baseline of it all is, yeah, a very, very sort of selfless way of, of navigating um, people's experiences and giving them a window back into them, you know, and, and a little recollection of why we're here. So there is... Um, I don't want to divert much from this conversation, but if, if any of the listeners out there, or even you, Nate, I'm sure you've heard of Simon Sinek, and uh, he's, he's sure. a wonderful motivational speaker um, and, and an inspiration to a lot of us. And his uh, golden circle of defining the what's and the how's and the why's and how that should prioritize what you're doing uh, with, your, with your business uh, was, was incredibly beneficial to me because I did get caught up in the momentum of the work, and you start looking at the very basic... Um, yard markers as to how successful you're being, you know, how many you're booking or how much money you're making or how much time versus how much money versus this and that and all that sort of thing. And, and that you can very easily get caught up in that without taking the time to step back. And Simon's um, perspective on that golden circle of the center of the circle, if there were three, three circles that exist within each other, the center of them should be that why circle. For sure. And if you work from the why to the how, which is in the middle or what, which is way on the outside, you start to develop a much uh, deeper relationship with your purpose. Hmm. And it's your purpose that's going to get you through those slow seasons. It's your purpose that's going to get you through 
the the bumps in the road in your relationship. It's it's the why are we doing what we're doing? And if we're doing it just sheerly out of momentum or some obligation that we've placed on ourselves, that might not be enough. Or if we spend too much time worrying about all those hows and how are we, you know, how are we going to get to the next gig or how are we going to work through this, this this scenario, that can be learned, you know, but your why needs to be extracted. And if that's not clearly defined, then I, I don't think you have the kind of stability that you need personally to navigate and be successful by your own terms. It's so true. It's so true. And this ties very closely again to that idea of the big picture view that we've talked about so many times here on the the podcast before that kind of 2000 or 20,000 foot view where you're, you're not simply in the middle of everything reacting to whatever's coming your way, but you have that big picture view, the perspective that kind of rises above Uh, Julie Morgenstern. I've mentioned this book Mm -hmm. before in the podcast too, but she wrote a book called time management from the inside out. And she talked about this idea of the big picture view. And she says it allows these successful people to rise above the chaos, right? Yeah. That the, the day-to-day existence of a lot of photographers is pretty chaotic because they don't have that, that overarching why or the big picture view that enables them to reach towards something. Yeah. That reaching towards something gives direction, right? And that direction can help drive what you're doing day to day. So you're not just kind of haphazardly making your way through the day. You're actually reaching towards something. So what you do is driven by that. And it gives you back to the the earlier um, point about efficiency and enables you to create an efficient business model to get where you're going and then still have some, some free time in addition. I'm going to kind of switch modes just slightly sure. here. Um, you're you're an artist not just by way of photography, but also music. This is you're, you're a deeply musical individual. I, I, in <laughs> fact, I don't. There are very few people that I've ever spent time with extensively that I. That there's this overwhelming sense that music really kind of lives through them. It, it's, it's a <laughs> it's a natural part of who you are, and and it pours yeah. out in in all kinds of ways. Yeah. Um, you're certainly a fan of all kinds of music. You photographed musicians. You're a guitar player yourself. In fact. Just before we we did this recording, um, I actually had a really cool opportunity to, to hear you play for the first time. Right, um, and not only that, but we recorded yeah. a couple of original tracks that that uh, you had written over time. And uh, so when we at the at the end of this episode, we're going to actually close out with one of those wow. tracks that we yeah, recorded. I'm really stoked to share with everybody. <laughs> it's beautiful, beautifully done. Oh, thank you. Um, but but where did that passion for music come from? And th- does it have any kind of ties to photography? I think music is a way to remember too. I think that you you can hear a song and be immediately transported, you know, you can, you, in your memory or in your imagination. So you can dream of places you haven't been or you can revisit places that you have um, through a simple melody. Right. So for me, again, as that, that sort of historian that doesn't have the best memory but wants to remember really badly, um, music serves as, as a reminder and it's a celebration. Music was founded as a celebration, even uh, some of the, the music that I gravitate towards more so than others, more in the sort of last century, century and a half of like what was pop music, blues, jazz. This came from people with incredibly difficult circumstances that had to find some way to form a sense of community and a form a sense of celebration, some mm. way to escape whatever their reality was. And right. The music is an escape in a way and it's a reminder and it's just, it's, it's a common thread. I think it explains so much when it comes to de- describing where the world is today or where it once was. The music has always sort of followed the path of society and if it being a historian for me to to not include uh, some um, evidence of how music has changed or what people are focusing on music whatever it might be would be leaving some part of history out that I, I feel like it's an incredibly important part of our expression in society so well and the beauty of, of when, when for looking at a comparison between photography and music and, 
it's it's interpretation at the end of the day as individuals as we observe a photographer's work or we're listening to music the song that we're going to play here at the end um it's it comes from your personal experience but it's ultimately not arbitrary has kind of a negative connotation but i don't even know what the, the appropriate word is communicative of a, of a situation that's relative to different people and yeah. different scenarios in their lives uh, it's it's relevant in one form or another and you can kind of make it your own mm-hmm. uh, which is i think part of the, the beautiful part of this the song that, that that you wrote but you guys will get a treat uh, at the no, end of the episode we're going to get to that and, oh absolutely <laughs> you'll get to hear some of thomas's original work but um, when, when we talked about doing the possibility of doing the book of podcasts you'd mentioned to me that you were processing the death of tom petty yeah he just recently passed yeah. away and still am i probably always will and and well and 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 this is Again, something that's kind of fascinating to me to hear your perspective, even on on Tom Petty himself and the significance of his music in your life, because this is somebody's music who I was not close to. Okay. So I'd, I'd love for you to to kind of share your perspective on that. What was the significance of of Tom and, and his music in your life? Yeah, Tom had uh, he had an incredible ability to communicate, like we were talking about. He could find themes and then use use his poetry, his his art as as a means of communicating something that uh, might have affected him profoundly but he knew had had uh, some sort of commonality yes. with, with common man i think tom's music was very common man um, musicians will joke that it's sort of three chords in the truth and it is i mean that's that's what tom petty did better than anybody was three chords in the truth. it wasn't the intricacy of his music that captivated us it was the message it was hmm. the melody it was some kind of common theme and so for me i mean i was i was raised primarily at least as far as my uh, recollection of my youth was in the eighties you know, when I, when I started to listen to music or get into fashion or whatever was happening in pop culture, child of the eighties, he was kind of the guy that was carrying the torch for, for rock and roll or sort of like blues based music, drum guitar stuff. Um, and his songwriting was some of the first that I remember, like as far as lyrics, went, melodies went, like sing-alongs went. So a lot of my memories as a, as a child are just by happenstance, by virtue of the time that I was raised are tied back to him and wow. his music. Okay. Uh, and his story is is a fascinating one too. He, he came from a, from Gainesville, Florida, from a small town in Florida. Um, he had a talent for what he did. Uh, it wasn't necessarily encouraged by his family, but it was accepted. And he rallied himself around some people, more by way of of happenstance than anything, but uh, got around some fellow musicians who saw that he was able to provide a canvas for them to work with, and and that's. That, w- that speaks to his strength and his patience and his vision and all that he brought to songwriting and pop culture and to music history is that he knew exactly how to express what would be that essential, but bring people around and allow them to color that in, you know, to give them that canvas to work with and to let them to reach their potential. And in so doing, he did too. And when Tom Petty passed away, we're not talking a whole lot about Ben Montanche. We're not talking about Mike Campbell and the other members of his band and how they're gone. But in a way, a lot of them died there too. And they were lifted to the levels that they were lifted to by virtue of what Tom was able to create, the environment, the space that he was able to create for them. Um, so he was an amazing collaborator, which found, which I find fascinating. Uh, the, the, the idea that we can go further than our potential by, sent by, by virtue of community. You mentioned a word in there, uh, collaborator, collaboration. And more specifically, um, one of his bandmates, Mike Campbell, you told me kind of an interesting story about his collaboration with Mike, the backstory there. I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Yeah, so Mike was a, was a, just an incredibly gifted guitarist. He wasn't necessarily brought up uh, as, a, as a 
a classically trained musician, though though there were other members of the Heartbreak were, but what became the Heartbreakers. But um, Tom was or Mike was an incredibly gifted guitar player, and he and Tom had a camaraderie. They had a friendship, and they had a respect for one another, knowing that they could extract the best from each other when they were together. So the original band that Mike brought out to or that Tom brought out to L.A. for recording and such, um, it didn't last in that configuration. The 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 labels and the powers that be at the time wanted to break the band up and they saw a star in Tom, but Tom couldn't move forward without Mike. It was like almost kind of a codependency. And a lot of the great things that you remember about Tom Petty's music, a lot of those riffs and those hooks that like are just incredibly infectious and unforgettable came from Mike Campbell, came from Tom providing a space for Mike Campbell and them having that kind of collaboration that we are more together than like the the sum of the what is it the sum of the parts is greater than the, than the whole, whole or whatever yeah, it is. Uh-huh. yeah the whole is sum of the parts thing that was it it was like together we we just have an ability to influence each other encourage each other and extract the best from each other uh, in a way that that no one else could or has or that we're even interested in knowing about this works for us this is what we're putting out there and in their case it had a sort of sound and an energy behind it that was appreciated by the masses and took them where they did you you created or, or kind of painted a picture earlier of this this canvas that Tom Petty created um, that then enabled others to come along and help paint a picture, a more beautiful picture altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, this notion of collaboration Absolutely. and Mike Campbell was a, a, a big part of that. What did that look like um, as you know it with that band, that, that collaboration, particularly between Mike and, and Tom? Yeah, I think the process was just that. It was like I got an idea, you know, and, and, I, and if you think about the parallels that run between music and photography um we we have our ideas and a lot of us are in this mentality and i'm guilty of it too that and the 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 catchword is is i'm too much of a control freak yeah you know right. and i'm sure that all of us have said it and i get it i yeah. totally do but in saying that you're kind of saying well like i know what the beginning of end and end of everything is mm. you know or i know what the total potential of this idea is because i created it and if Tom Petty did that, you wouldn't you wouldn't know like running down a dream and, and that amazing riff, you know, that na 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 that kind of thing. Just <laughs> yeah. like it just rings in your head and you're like, Oh my god, that's so good. Yeah. But yeah. Tom didn't come up with that. Mm. He came up with the con- with the structure of the music and the chord progressions and things like that and the lyrics, of course, but without that I got this idea, what do you think about it? Mm. Kind of mentality and freedom and trust and love that you could share between other people that might share an interest and a passion for the same thing. Yeah. You might never realize the full potential of what your stuff can do. So those control freak type are saying that I know the beginning and the end. I get it all because I made it. But part of it has there's such a big part that has to do with collaboration and there's a huge part of the reception of it too. As much as you might know what the beginning and the end of your piece is, you don't know how that's going to be received. So there's a collaboration that you have that you should be willing to undertake with your viewer by way of critiques, by way of community, whatever it may be, that can help you to realize that there is more potential in this. I'm not saying it's a better potential or sure. worse potential. I'm just saying that there's more than what we think. Yeah. And this idea of I'm a control freak and I'm going to micromanage every aspect of every little thing, I find to be just too time consuming and too it's just, exhausting. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. just it and it's really all driven is. really by by ego in that sense. It's an e- totally well, we're egomaniacs. We're, all <laughs> it's fair enough, fair enough. I mean, they're, totally they're, guilty they're, myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of what it is. So we got, it, but by mid- admitting that, we can say, all right, I know that I'm, and and I'm, you know, whatever that final product is, I might have that the final say in the final product. Cool, yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah, but the idea that uh, that we 
just kind of like end all be all beginning to end there's just so much more space you know and and maybe maybe all we need to do is provide an idea mm. you know and, and have a community and know where our community is and be willing to listen to the critiques and listen to new ideas that may be expanded upon ours and be willing to share in that yeah, you know yeah. to, to find some new potential you know so and then and potential that is the word there's there is so much potential that we potential well that that we could miss out on yeah and uh, you're you know the, the my my relationship with photographers edit goes back a lot and i'm just gonna i, I gotta use photographers edit in, in this example because i'm a photographer so you know how is my process from beginning to end and i see photographers edit to be completely in line with my perspective and my idea of success and my way of freeing up time um, and let and, me just kind of to throw something in really quick here yeah. for those of you who may be first time learner or listeners, learners. Well, learners, learners too. Hopefully, always, <laughs> hopefully, always learners. And I'm part of that crew. Yeah. Um, but but photographers edit is, a, is an editing company, post production company um, that I'm an owner of, and um, we offer post production editing services mm-hmm. for both wedding and portrait photographers. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had the the wonderful fortune of of having you as a client for quite some time. Yeah, so. well, I've had the fortune. I mean, it's it's a mutually beneficial relationship, and I I see it as that. Uh, the argument with uh, using an editing service um, is that you're somehow distancing yourself from the work. And like if you're a studio photographer, I, I can always use this example of once you get your lighting set up where you need it to be, turn your client's head a little bit to the left or take one step to the left and see how much that lighting changed, the effects of where the shadows are going to fall and the highlights and all that sort of stuff and how it shapes the face and what a, you'll get a whole different perspective by taking one step to the left. Yeah. So in the case of the argument of, well, you're just being lazy and stepping away from your work and you want someone to do your work because you're a photographer and part of being a photographer is being an editor, it's not necessarily accurate in mm. the sense that if you believe that you are part of a collaborative process, um, an editing service, and a lot of the greats used editors, a lot of the great film photographers, a lot of the, name, a lot of the names that you can mention, I don't want to be inaccurate in dropping any names, but I mean like an Irving Penn or something like that, they probably had their own editors they're they're people that they trusted the people that could take the work that didn't have that emotional connection right. to it right. it didn't feel like i need to hold on to this because i remember the joke that was made at this time and it's really funny and that's makes the great makes the image great but they could see it for just what it was and for me photographers edit has been a way of me stepping a little bit away from the the, the connections that i feel to that control and documenting and drip and, and sort of uh, driving the end result and allowed me to take everything to a baseline. So what I, my, my, um, the, the biggest benefit of photographers edit for me is to allow them to create a baseline look. Um, what's really wonderful about photographers edit or has been for me at least is that you're able to provide them with your input. So they're not editing everything to some sort of generic standard. The standard can be, uh, adjusted to your visual aesthetic, meaning that they're willing to work with you as collaborators to get a certain aesthetic established. Now, some pieces might need work in other directions, you know, and that's fine with you because in the end, you can master that work off. It's not that they're giving you a final product that's done and, and can no longer be worked with. They are providing you with, based on your input, just as Tom Petty says, hey, here's the three chords that I'm going to be playing. Here's the refrain. Here's the chorus. Here's the hook. Da, 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 da. And then he gives it to someone to say, how do you hear it? And then they add color to it and bring it to a place where it can continue to be collaborated upon. That's where I am with photographers edit. So for me to adjust white balance and and say exposure compensations or contrast adjustments, whatever it may be, is is a it's a I know how to do it. I've taken the time. 
I've sat there at the computer until my arms go numb, until my eyes are crossed. You know, you walk away from the computer, you come back 10 minutes later and you're like, why is everything so purple? You know, because you're in <laughs> yeah, this mindset true. that you think everything's like so true. perfect, but then you walk yeah. away for five minutes, walk into another room or get some daylight on your face because right. you haven't seen daylight for three days. Right. And you're like, why the why did I make everything so purple, you know? And that kind of thing. <laughs> These guys bring everything to a baseline standard. So if it's going to be a touch warm, whatever, whatever your aesthetic may be, they're there to listen to that and to get everything going so that it can be brought back to you for that final editing process. So if you liken it, to what happens in a music studio, you're going to provide that baseline information, you're going to multi-track things, and you're going to get everything laid out, and then it comes back to either you or the engineer that you've hired to put those master edits on it. So you still have the ability to go in and further tweak those files if you need to, but at least you have something consistent. And that consistency takes a lot of time to establish. If you're doing that with 800 images, that's a lot of time. Yeah. So that's a lot of mornings I'm going to miss. Right. And that, it's not to say that I don't know how to do that or that I'm not willing to do that for my client. I'm totally willing to do it. But if I were to do so, then I'm going to miss out on that time, which I find to be so valuable in my schedule. So I'm going to allow them to get me a baseline, allow them to get things going, collaborate with them, listen to their input. Because in a lot of times I might not have thought of that or I might not have yeah. done it that way. Yeah. But when I see it, it makes a whole lot more sense. And then I have final say. I can do the final engineering. So in the end, it's still my product. I've still seen it from beginning to end. I haven't let go of anything or been lazy or done my clients wrong i've just i've actually done better by them because i'm enjoying a life that i want to live which gives me a little bit more time to focus on my photography and my technicals on my son and my travel on the things that make my photography what it is more fuel for the way that you engage with your clients too. if you're so burnt out because you're sitting in front of a computer nonstop, ugh, that doesn't do them any justice no and, and you but you have to get there to know it you sure, know and sure. i think that it's something that everyone should li- again it's about those hows like you got to get your skills down you got to spend your ten thousand hours it's just what it is you know and then you can have a conversation if you don't know those three chords then and you don't know how to make the changes between them how could you ever write a song right you got to be able to play the chords but then once that's done, it's like, okay, I get the chords. That's cool. But now I got to go looking for new ideas. I got to go find a new inspiration. I, at, wherever the, the essence of my work is coming from, I need to focus on that. And if I can do that, then I'm going to make a better product. And in, my, in the case of photography for me, I saw that the major chunk of my time that was being spent during the weeks when I wasn't on shoots was in a dark room by myself with a pot of coffee and, and, and going cross-eyed and pale and shaky and everything else that comes along yeah. with those hours and hours of editing. Yeah. To, again, not to that I regret that time because it gave me a working knowledge of what I'm talking about, but I realized that that's not the best use of my time. I still want to have a look at everything before it goes out. I still will make, a, make those adjustments. I'll still spend the time. If spending the time on the work is what justifies it being professional, that's fine. But for me, I was able to, to develop a much clearer idea of what my why was and exercise my why and be participating in my why um, when I allowed someone else to collaborate on the work. So, I mean, it's a perfect example of like how we can get to more potential. First by having a why, but mm-hmm. then by taking advantage of this collaborative effort with yeah. another person, another company, companies. Of course. And you actually you shared another example with me yesterday from the Beatles. Yeah. And Ringo, oh, did, yeah, hey, Ringo. I, I'd love to hear that, or I'd love for our listeners to hear that analogy yeah, so, as well. So Ringo's kind of like, he, he doesn't, he's the most, the least celebrated, most overlooked of the Beatles, right? I mean, there's, I think there was a, was, I, I don't remember the context, I wish we had watched it, because it's really funny, but there was a family guy where, you know, they flipped to other scenes and stuff. Sure. And they were talking about sort of like being the little child in the room or something like that. And they flipped to the scene where the four Beatles are sitting around and Ringo comes up and says, hey guys, I think I got one. And he hands over a piece of paper and, 
and Nepal looks at it and says, "Oh, that's lovely, Ringo," and he puts it up on the refrigerator like it's you know like it's some little kid that's like that's the song that he wrote and that was right. his contribution to the band. But yeah. anyone who's a, a, a Beatle maniac or a Beatleologist or whatever have or just a music historian um, is quick to cite Ringo as being um, incredibly important to that band. I mean, it, it, nothing as we know it can be any different if any of the parts had changed, especially bands. That's the thing is like they they were a four headed monster, the Beatles and they all brought something musically to the table. And Ringo, above and beyond any other drummer that I know of, and I've heard other drummers say this, people that are actual professional working drummers, Ringo played for the song. Ringo was willing to put himself aside to serve the song. And he was very good at getting to the essence of what was trying to be communicated. It could have been something simple, some simple roll or some simple kick drum or whatever needed to be put in. He knew, had this instinct for it. And the the guys in the band had incredible confidence in that. There was never a time that they felt, well, we can't bring that music to the studio because I don't, you know, we just, we don't have, because Ringo doesn't have the chops. I mean, Ringo had the chops. He's an incredible musician, incredible drummer, great pianist too. Um, and he took his, his, uh, his, uh, his turn at singing too. I mean, some of this, the sort of Beatles songs that we love, a little help from my friends, um, a yellow submarine or, these kind of tunes were like Ringo tunes and they couldn't be any other way. But his contribution as a drummer um, was, was imperative to their success. And I think that that's, I was saying that that's a lot in what photographers edit brings to me as a consistency, you know, that I can rely on the fact they're going to get me to that baseline. They're going to see what I was looking to accomplish without me having to communicate it because we've taken the time to get to know one another. And then they're going to take my ideas and make sure that they that it gels, that there's some kind of fluidity in who I am and, and the idea that I'm presenting and what that final product's gonna be. And and nobody did that better than Ring, you know, and, and nobody does in, in my opinion does it better than the photographers edit. So it's well, again I love the fact that, that he was focused on the song. Always the song. The end the end result wasn't him and his no. his fame and notoriety, it was the song. It was about the song. That's what his focus was. He always. had his very clear why as well. Yeah. And it then enabled always him to bring music. something that was so powerful to that band and that collaboration. It was always the music. And he, he enjoyed the fame and, and he had a good run with the Beatles. And I think mentally he probably came out the least harmed by the whole thing because uh, he kept that distance from the fame and from being the famous Beatle and just did his thing and did it however it needed to be done to serve the music. Yeah. It's always about the music. Yeah. And that's such a powerful message. It's like, what is your why? It's clearly defined. I'm going to contribute to these guys' ideas. I know the minds that I'm working with. These, these were unprecedented musicians, and when brought together, they, 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 they had an ability to make stuff that, that had never been heard before and, and, and is still celebrated now, and I can't imagine never stop being celebrated, but a big part of that was his willingness to step aside and say, all right, I, they got the big ideas. That's cool. So do I. But my ideas are going to be more low-key. I'm the drummer in the back of the room. Nobody's looking at the drummer, you know? But that's cool. I can do that, and I and and, and I don't know. I just I, well, poor I think guy both... getting overlooked like that for so long. <laughs> but he's still around, and he's still doing it, which is great. You know. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think both this example and the example of, of Tom Petty, Mike Campbell, and his band. I think these are beautiful examples of this idea of collaboration. And people, you know, they they often ask me like, "Who's your inspiration?" You know, and they want me to say something like Albert Watson or, or Irving Penn or Steiglitz or one of these guys. It's, I always think of musicians first, you know, because their trajectory is so incredibly parallel to ours and the way that, that we kind of get to our, to, to, to creating and then manifesting and, and nurturing and presenting ideas. It's all the same vibe, right? It's all creation. 
So just to not to interrupt, but to say that like, yeah, these examples to me serve as the inspiration as to how I can get more out of myself, uh, what I can aspire to, their success is inspiration to me. So why not use these examples as opposed to like, well, it's obvious. Yes, I, I mean, Albert Watson's work is stunning and, and I, I, I know what I can about him and I admire him, you know, and, and some of the modern Platon uh, photographers, uh, Mark Seliger, these guys that are still doing really amazing work uh, in the photography realm are also inspired by musicians or mm. painters or whatever it may be, craftsmen of sorts, you know. So there's a lot of inspiration to find within the arts that don't necessarily need to be direct photographic inspiration. For sure. And, and a clear example there, um, and it seems like we, we see this, this has been kind of a common theme in, theme in some of the conversations here at the Boca Podcast, but the, the, the true benefit and value that we see when we kind of set our ego aside for a little bit and invite opportunity for, in this case, collaboration. Yeah. Um, these are wonderful, wonderful examples, and I, and I really appreciate you making time both to share your, your passion in music um, yeah. and then these stories and these wonderful examples. Um, I'd love for our listeners to be able to kind of follow what you're doing online. Um, your website is thomasflint.com, is yeah. that right? so that's T-O-M-A-S-F-L-I-N-T.com, no H in there. Uh, that's my blog site. And uh, yeah, it gives you a little bit of, a, of an idea of, of where I am and what I'm doing. Um, and I'm also available, too, to, to folks that um, might want to go further with this idea, you know, or, or might want to see how it's maybe put it into action and then, and then see how that plays out in their lives and maybe need to make adjustments or whatever have you. But as much as I can be a resource to people, I want to because I, uh, I've taken this path. I think I've probably said all the same stuff, you know, and I've, I've faced all the same adversity and I'm not at a point where I can say that I'm walking into the sun, sunset or anything like that. I, I still got a long ways to go. Sure. And, and I hope that, uh, God willing, I'm still able to do this for a long time and to continue to develop as a person through the work that I do. Um, but the key is just that. You know, how do you develop as a person through what you do with your time? And if I can help somebody in any way, I'm, I'm here. Awesome. Well, yeah. you guys make sure you check out Thomas's work and see what he's doing. Um, as you said, both in your personal and business life yeah. uh, on, on uh, thomasflint.com and then instagram.com slash thomasflint. And uh, I guess we have the, the wonderful privilege now of getting to kind of close out this episode with uh, Tom's original piece, Jekyll and Hyde. But thank you again so much for making time to do this today. me to let this slide with all that we have how could you be so blind if it's answers you seek i hope it's answers you find wherever you go i'm by your side you take our love you cast it aside one day you're jekyll one day you're hide so deal with those feelings you're feeling inside Wherever you go, I'm by your side The picture is clear, but it don't look right The colors all fade to black and white I try to breathe deeper, my throat just gets tight Wherever you go, I'm by your side Wherever you go, I am by your side
not in your heart. This is in your mind. It's not us you hate, it's yourself you don't like. So take this time and say that you try. Wherever you go, I'm by your side. Say, wherever you go, I am by your side. No river too deep, no valley too wide. Wherever you go, wherever you go, wherever you go. Wherever you go, wherever you go, oh, 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 no. wherever you go, whichever way that wind blows. Ah, la, 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 la. Ah, la, 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 la. la, 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 la. la, 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 la. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Dot com.